I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Every now and then the true cynic in me emerges. Any of you have a true cynic living inside of your body? Only three of you. Wow. That's rough. Here I was hoping to find common ground, and I just feel more alienated and alone than ever. No, I'm kidding. I know you just weren't thinking, what does he mean, inner cynic? Um, That's that part of you that wants to doubt at moments, that questions uh, the reality being described somewhere. Inner cynic? Some of you question the the reality being described around you sometimes? Thank you. I think we all do, actually. I hope we do, because that, to me it doesn't mean that we're faithless. It means that we're engaged in seeing something the way we think it is. And sometimes it takes a, a, a statement, an understanding, a sort of leap of faith, as it were, to view that same reality differently. And when I hear these, these uh, promises or these texts sometimes in Psalms, uh, my inner cynic wants to jump up sometimes. And, and say, really? This is the reality that's being described? Not my world. Uh, God is describing so many wonderful things, interior and exterior, and often I don't see them either place. Well, I've spent enough time the last couple of weeks talking about the economy, about the ecology, about the, uh, the different uh, things that threaten us in this world right now, even hinted at politics, dangerous zone. But the real threats for most of us are interior, not exterior. Wouldn't you agree? For most of us, the truly ugly stuff is on the inside. You've heard me say before, and I'll share with you again, I think sometimes we trivialize sin when we speak of it behaviorally. You're saying, wait a minute, sin is a behavior. It's an act of disobedience or rebellion. I would say to you, yeah, in, in great part you're right. But sin is more than just a simple act of doing something. Sin is the state of rebellion against the living God. Sin is the state of struggling for the capacity to hear him. Sin is the state of struggling, if if it were even possible, to be in relationship with him. Because sin is that which breaks all of that. It breaks relationship, destroys trust, alienates us from life. 
Sin is our full human, fully fledged rebellion against the living God. And we sometimes want to make it about what we say when we stub our toes, which is circumstantial at best. So I want to guide you this morning into a just sort of interior uh, realm in which we take a look at the dark side just briefly. Because all of us, the Bible says, are sinners. This doesn't mean that we've made some little mistake along the way. It means we have been born into a state of rebellion. It means we are, by nature, at odds. Now, the good news is that we have been reconciled already to God in Christ. Oh, yes, thank you, Jesus. That is the powerful peace that makes it possible. And it is now possible for our hearts to turn toward him. It is now possible for stony hearts in conversion to be replaced with hearts of what? Flesh. Unfeeling, unresponding, unknowing, unsentient hearts hardened to the truth of grace and love and gospel. Now capable of beating in responsive beat to the love of the living God. Now capable of responding. So we have this this really profound struggle that we're all engaged in, and it isn't only a world struggle. It isn't only political. It isn't only a struggle against elements and the threats of a decaying planet. It isn't only a struggle against the possibilities, the the negative scenarios that arise when we think about global warming. It isn't only a threat that arises from the possibility of a loss of job or a loss of home. It isn't only a threat that comes to us in the form of economics or insecurity and well-being. It isn't only a threat that comes to us in the form of terrorism. It is not exterior. It is the threat that lives within. And it's constant, isn't it? I don't have time to hit the whole gamut this morning. I don't hit... I don't have time to share the full range. But if you'll reflect for just a minute, some of us are profoundly selfish. And the irony is that most of us won't recognize it. Because many of us who are selfish are also decidedly narcissistic, which means we won't recognize that either. That has to be somebody else. But be open to somebody holding that mirror up to your face at some point in time. Some of us are decidedly fearful, perhaps irrationally so. We want to retreat from the world and everything in it because we're fearful. We don't trust God and we don't trust ourselves to be able to manage with the challenges that come our way. Or we're fearful that things beyond our control will ruin what is already seems to be good. Only fear does that already. Many of us are deeply addicted 
And it could be anything. Oh, we're used to thinking in terms of classic categories. But I would suggest television, video games for our kids, entertainments of almost all sorts. We're addicted to work. Some of us are addicted to computers. Scarcely taking time to say hello to loved ones or relate because that's all-consuming. Some of us are addicted to hobbies and pursuits of leisure. Some of us are addicted to food. Some of us are addicted to very bad relationships, relationships that need reform or ending. Some of us are addicted to sex or porn. Some of us are addicted to the list goes on. And it's because we've struggled to let the comfort of the Spirit speak and to let the comfort of the Spirit take off the edge and speak truth into our lives and bring perspective to our hungers and our thirsts and our perceived self-needs. We've struggled to let happen what has been described in Psalms happen, to let that be the overriding reality. If we're not addicted, some of us are horribly cruel. Oh, we've learned to be civilized. We mask it. But when the chance arises, reservoirs of anger or bitterness, envy or hate, erupt in vile words meant to scar and maim. We hurt those closest to us and those we love. We hurt those around us sometimes. Colleagues, and if we get a chance particularly, we relish a strike at our enemies. And of course, we don't want anybody to know, do we? We don't want anybody to see that we are selfish or narcissistic, that we are afraid or that we are cruel, that we are addicted or otherwise less than we ought to be. All connected to this thing called sin. It's fine to look at a theory about a supervolcano in Yellowstone wiping out the planet. It's just as well to think about the possibility of an asteroid strike. It's interesting to look at global warming and to theorize about whether it's just a natural cycle or what we're contributing to it and all of those sorts of pieces. We have a real easy language with the sort of economics and politics of the day, most of us oblivious to the, or at least choosing to be oblivious to the tremendous complexity of it all. But the real threat comes from within. Jesus said it really well. He said, don't be afraid of what can destroy the body. Be afraid of what can take your soul. 
And the stuff that robs us of who God intended us to be is the stuff within. It's the stuff of rebellion. It's the stuff of our propensity to move away from God rather than towards God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit, says the psalmist. Let us read again our reading. I will praise the Lord, Psalm 16, 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Isn't that a neat passage? Do you think it's your, your own interior goodness of your heart instructing you? Do so you think that's what the passage is talking about? The sort of inner compass that you hear people talking about? Is that what's happening in this passage, do you think? Probably not. It says, God who counsels me and who instructs, my heart instructs me even at night. He speaks. If we're willing to listen, God is there. There's something happening in our world, and it's not on the outside only, it's in the interior of our lives. I will praise him because he counsels me, even at night. He's there, my heart is instructing me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now, there's a lot being said there. Most of us are right-handed, about 95%. 5% of the population is left-handed. The 95% who are right-handed are generally less left-hemisphere dominant in that sense. We have uh, a lot of interesting differences between right-handed and left-handed people, which are not really that important. But that's how we think about right- and left-handedness. In the time of Christ, what was thought about that was favor and position. You see, to be at somebody's right hand, and we have a saying in our culture that, that reflects this, to be at somebody's right hand is to be in the position of power and favor. Power and favor. Now we say of a workman, he is my what? Right hand man. What do we mean by that? This is the guy who gets it done. This is the one I trust. This is the one who's in charge of my estate or my business. Or my, this, is, this is my best worker. And what's happening in this passage is it doesn't say that we're at God's right hand here. It says the Lord is at our right hand. I have set the Lord always before me. I have prioritized my relationship with God because he is at my right hand. I won't be shaken. It's a wonderful passage. And it's a choice that you and I get to make. You see, thanks to Jesus, we have a choice. We get to choose God's side or rebellion. We get to choose life or death. We get to choose Grace or judgment, we get to choose. And the passage says, I've prioritized my God. I won't be shaken. Does that mean you won't be shaken literally in an earthquake? No. 
Again, we're talking about the inside. I will not be shaken in my inmost being. Who I am will not be threatened because God is my right hand. He is in a position of power. He is in a position of favor. He has been prioritized. I like what the psalmist is saying here. Even in poetry, it speaks. Therefore, my heart is glad. Not preoccupied, not sick, not fearful, not narcissistic, but glad. And my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known the, true, the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your heart. Excuse me. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We have multiple layers that we put on this text. You've not suffered your Holy One to see destruction. We see as a prophecy, don't we? Something spoken of Jesus Christ. Yes, he is destroyed on the cross, but not forever. He sleeps for three days as he speaks of and is resurrected the third day. His body is not subject to total decay or corruption. Rather, he is raised. Raised with a resurrection body, however we want to know that or understand that. Jesus is risen. The other layer that we put on this is a statement of, of trust, even prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, David precedes Christ in the timeline of earth and heritage and lineage. He says, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known the path to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We put on this a prophecy for our own future. Just as the psalmist has expressed that we won't be shaken in this life because we've learned to prioritize God here and now. So we have a future life to look forward to. Because we have prioritized God now, he now holds us at his right hand. Our bodies will no longer be subject to corruption. In other words, the victory will be won. And the interior challenges that we face will be gone. And the exterior threats that we face will be gone. Sin will be no more. That's the other layer that's in this passage. So what do we leave with this morning? I'll tell you what. We're constantly moving, constantly evolving, constantly changing. The world around us is never the same from one moment to the next. It can be a cooling November day, and the next day the Santa Anas can come and blow like crazy. Montecito can burn. And then the valleys, too. 
just happens like that. In a gust of wind, a fire can travel three miles. Change. Nothing ever the same. We live in the constancy of change. We live in a world interior and exterior of challenge and of up and down. But thank goodness for the consistency of God. Whose goal in all of this is that we might live with him forever. That we might be held at his right hand, a place of power, but more importantly, a place of favor. That's what he wants to do for you. That's what he wants to do for me. That's what he wants to do for us.